Outlet Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. This programme is brought to you in association with the magazine that I write for and help edit. It's Premier Christianity magazine. If you'd like to get a free sample copy of the latest issue, you can head to our website, premierchristianity.com. Now, today on The Profile, I'm speaking to Les Moyer. Les has played a very significant role in the international contemporary worship music community as a mentor, A&R manager, record producer, and bass player. He has encouraged and coached many worship leaders, musicians, and songwriters. He's worked closely with well-known worship leaders, including Matt Redman, Tim Hughes, Martin Smith, Graham Kendrick. The list goes on. Les, Mm -hmm. welcome to the programme. Thanks, Sam. It's wonderful to have you here. And you've just published, of course, this book, The Missing Jewel. And it is the the story, really, of how this sort of genre of music, uh, call it praise music or worship music, Christian contemporary music, um, all of these things, how they came about. And you look at that phenomenal growth from the 1960s to today. So let's begin with the title, The Missing mm. Jewel. Where does that come from? That comes from a quote by A.W. Tozer, uh, said, worship is the missing jewel in the evangelical church. And so the book uh, documents how the jewel of worship was restored to the UK church and then went on to become a light to the nations, a blessing yeah, to the nations. That's wonderful. Mm. And of course, you've had a, a front row seat for much of the past decades of what's been happening, I guess, in the in the Christian music world. And you know, I guess the first question that comes to mind is, what's it like to work with these sort of well-known worship leaders? What's that like day to day? <laughs> well, they're just real people, uh, as in, you know, they're normal people, but God's given them a gift mm. in certain areas. Mm. And uh, so my, the fulfillment in my role has been to see them develop and even to develop in their recording and their songwriting. And, uh, you know, sometimes you, you uh, get to meet a young guy and 16, 17 years old when I first met Matt Redman. Yeah. Very shy wow. guy and, um, you know, looked quite introverted. And just, just, just to help develop him and see his gift grow and see his songs bless the church globally. But, um, and also it's just seeing them grow in confidence and also authority. You know, it's interesting that, you know, when the authority of God lands on someone, I say, you can always see it, you know, before they're just up there leading, but then suddenly the authority of God is on them and it's just a wonderful thing to see. That's wonderful. Um, Now here on the profile, we always like to go back and talk about a person's life Mm. growing up. So tell me a bit about your upbringing. Yeah, so my parents are Salvation Army officers. So I grew up in that environment and I loved it. I loved music, I loved God, and uh, there's so much of God around. And there's just that whole you know, worship and social justice mm. all mixed in together mm. and very nitty gritty, you know, Salvation Army activities. Uh, the interesting thing is when I was maybe five or six years old, you know, I was given a cornet or a trumpet, as yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, asked to play it. And right. so I just grew up with music. Grew up around music. Yeah, and uh, worship day. music, which yeah. was interesting. And also, when I was about seven years old, you know, I remember committing myself to, to Jesus and uh, to following Him. Mm-hmm. And I really, it was a great life. I mean, lots of meetings, you yeah. know, like uh, four or five meetings each Sunday. <laughs> Real church uh, boy, if you, and that way. But then um, I got involved a little bit more on rock and roll okay. side of things, yeah. uh, got, uh, working for a mainstream recording studio in uh, just off Carnaby Street. Right. And then there was an offer of a job at ICC Studios. Okay. 
And so I went, finally went down to ICC and uh, got to meet Helmut Kaufman, who's the studio director there. Right. And this is in, in Eastbourne? Yes, this is in Eastbourne. I said, this would have been about the end of the 70s, 79. Okay. And I came down to Eastbourne, which wasn't really the rock and roll center of the world. <laughs> but um, I came down to Eastbourne and started work at this studio. And within a month, uh, this chap called Graham Kendrick arrived oh, okay. yeah. uh, with producer John Pantry. Okay. And, John uh, Pantry, of course, uh, well-known and well-loved around <laughs> legend, these parts of Premier Christian Radio. <laughs> a true legend. And, uh, and basically, we recorded Graham's first worship album wow. called Jesus Stand Among Us. So little did I realize mm. that I kind of stepped into this yes. moment in history yes. where worship music, the worship music revolution yeah. was beginning Absolutely. in the UK and also recorded this album called Bind Us Together with the Romford mm. Church. And again, it was just these were homegrown British worship songs. Mm. Um, which again ignited the creativity yeah. in the church. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I guess for people perhaps of my generation in their 20s, we may be in danger of taking worship music for granted because there's so much of it around. And of course here yeah. on Premier you hear a lot of it. But just give us a bit of an insight into that time when Graham Kendrick was first emerging and these songs were being written because for a long time, you know, according to what you detail in the book, worship hadn't really been done in that way and it was perhaps yeah. a little bit more rigid or structured. Yeah, the church was very formal at the time, you know, and, uh, and you know, really the worship or the songs, the hymns, mm. you know, the three or four hymns, um, were seen as a warm up to the preach. Right. De definitely the preach was just definitely the, the thing that everyone came to and the big pulpit and yeah. all these things. And, but basically, as Tozer said, the, what the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church in Britain, mm. 60s charismatic movement, and then people really wanted to worship. And so the importance of you know expressing our worship um, became a priority. Mm. And then there was a the whole thing then of people wanting new, you know new songs to sing, people feeling uh, inspired to write mm. new songs. Yeah. And so they started to come, and uh, it was interesting because you know the with Graham especially with Graham Kendrick because he was actually a very well known folk artist, Christian contemporary Christian music artist. Right. And so, but he was also filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he wanted to write worship songs. Mm. Uh, he wasn't happy with the songs right. that he heard, and he wanted to write um, great quality worship songs. So what happened is that God changed the hearts of the musicians, and they started to care about worship. Mm. And so those guys got involved. The, the good songwriters started to write good new worship mm. songs. Mm. And uh, so they were introduced, but it was definitely, Acoustic guitar and yeah. uh, sandals and socks. And I remember, actually, I remember the first time we uh, produced an album for Graham uh, called Let God Arise. And uh, he said that he didn't think we should have any electric guitar on it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened was we finished uh, the tracking early. Okay. So we had a few hundred pounds uh, left over yeah. in the recording budget. And I persuaded him to let me try some electric <laughs> guitar on a few of the tracks. <laughs> so that so, was that was sort of still controversial, was it? It was controversial, <laughs> and I, I, but I think it really it was the, just finding the players who were sensitive mm. and um, yeah. weren't going to and skillful. Yes, and you know, going to rock out, you know, yeah. and they're going to play the right part or yeah. the, the 
the right part for the right song. Yeah, it is incredible how things have changed. And you mentioned there some of your role as a producer. For, for someone who perhaps doesn't know, what does a record producer do? I mean, you've you've been doing this for decades. You've produced yeah. some very well-known Christian albums. What is the sort of nitty-gritty? What is the day-to-day -day look like in being a record producer? I mean, the day-to-day -day is you get together. Well, you get together with the artist or the worship leader, and uh, you start to work on their songs, and then. Uh, you go through their songs, t tweaking them. Usually sometimes one section of a song might be not be quite there, might not be strong enough, so you ask them to, to work on that. And then you work on them until you've got a collection of 10 or 12 great songs. And sometimes that means bringing songs in from other songwriters. You know, t sometimes that means bringing out old ideas and developing them. And also a really fascinating thing is, Sam, is, is what God is saying to the church now, mm -hmm. having that put in song. So you go through their songs, Discuss the tempo, discuss the key, all those things, and then you you book a well, you check your budget that you've yeah. been given from the record company. <laughs> and you hope it's a decent uh, one. You hope right? it's a decent one, <laughs> and then if it's if it's a decent one, then you book a studio and then you work make a plan of how many days you're going to spend in the studio and yeah. uh, how much time you can spend in, on the mix, and then you have you know you mix all the tracks together, and then you master, and then you hand it to the record company. So, but it's it's a great process. And for me, the interesting thing was that people, worship leaders especially, they love uh, live worship. Mm. That is their comfort zone mm. in front of a few hundred people or thousands of people. They are totally at home. But when you put them in the studio, it's like a whole different environment. Yeah. So a lot of the time is just trying to keep that worshipful atmosphere in the studio where they feel free to express themselves. Mm and um, without getting too sterile. That's a really fascinating combination of all the sort of practical music side of things, being a producer, but then mm. also you mentioned that kind of spiritual dynamic as well. Yeah. That must feel quite powerful when you kind of hit that in a studio. Yeah, and also, which I didn't say, is you know, the producer usually chooses the musicians that, okay. are, that are playing on the album. And so really, you know, for each you know, worship leader, you bring together mm. a certain team of players. Mm. And so that's always an interesting dynamic when you see that. And also as a producer, sometimes you have a, almost like a picture of how you want it to sound or how it should be. It's like, it's, it's a little bit, I, I tell people it's a little bit like doing a painting. Do you know what I mean? And you basically, a producer just keeps adding these different <laughs> colors, you know, so you can hear it, what, almost like hear it, what it should be when mm -hmm. it's finished. And it's just getting on the right places and the right things in the right place. Sure. Well, um, I mentioned earlier that you, you've worked with some very well-known people and you, of course, mentioned ICC Studios where mm. a lot of Christian music has been recorded over the years. And, you know, going back again a few decades now, there was a, a young man, I guess a young boy at that time, called Martin Smith, who, yeah. who was around those parts at the time. Do you want to recall some of that story? <laughs> yeah, uh, Martin was 19. And he was a skinny guy and <laughs> an assistant engineer. He made good tea. <laughs> Coffee was not bad, but <laughs> he was good on the cups of tea. Yeah, and um, and uh, he, you know, he became my engineer on a lot of my projects. Mm. But the really interesting thing about Martin was he was always asking questions. He was so inquisitive, mm. and uh, yeah, he just wanted to know about everything. So <laughs> and then sometimes I would have to stop his questions. Martin, yeah. we really have to get on with the session now. <laughs> and uh, but he would be asking and asking. But he was just hungry to learn. Mm. And um, and also, you know, I think um, I gave Martin his first one of his first vocal sessions on mm -hmm. a Youth with a Mission album that we recorded, 
and uh, it was just been incredible to see him grow yeah. and develop. I mean, he he is actually a very very good recording engineer, mixing mm. engineer. Most people would not know that Martin, Martin recorded and mixed uh, King of Fools, right? Yeah, which was the first, and he mixed and uh, recorded all the cutting edge albums. Yeah, all those early delirious now yeah. classics. So it's... you know, so I was in, so encouraged to see that. Yeah, but um, yeah, and again, you know, he, he's now becoming a mentor. To many young people and many worship evangelists. Incredible. Well, it's all part of this incredible story. As I say, it's detailed mm. in the book. It's out now, The Missing Jewel. It really is a fascinating read. Do you, do you feel like you've written a kind of history book? Because that's what it felt to me <laughs> in reading it. It really felt like this was something of the past 50 years that hasn't really been written about in depth before. But yeah. you've, you've actually lived through a lot of that history yourself. You've seen yeah. it firsthand. Yeah. Sam, there's a wonderful uh, scripture, Psalm 71. It says that one generation shall tell another generation. And that's what I felt my role was, you know, that really was to pass on the story. And uh, Jermaine, again, if if it's not documented, then people start to make up their own stories. Yes. And so <laughs> I thought it was important to do that. And also there were some guys who pioneered and really broke ground and and I, I wanted to honor them. Um, you know, people like Jeff Sheeran and again, like Helmut, John Pack, people, regular people wouldn't know about yeah. But they were monumental in what they saw happen. And Jeff Sharon was he was the guy who persuaded Graham Kendrick to, to record a worship album. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and so, but people wouldn't know that. Yes, there's you a know. lot of... And that's what the book does so well. It details sort of behind the scenes, all these people who were involved. Um, I wanted to talk specifically about one song that, of course, everyone will know so well. It's Graham Kendrick's Shine, Jesus, Shine. Mm. I understand you had some involvement in that song. <laughs> Well, the, the role again. The, the role of the record producer, Sam, is that um, you get to hear an idea mm. when it's only an idea. Mm. So you know, and sometimes it's really with maybe only like the first two lines of a song, or yeah. someone's got a chorus idea and they sing it to you, and and so you basically say, well, yeah, that's a good idea. And so uh, Graham and I were in a place called Kimmel Hall. And uh, we were going through songs for the new March of Jesus album, mm-hmm. and uh, he he sang me this the verse to Shine Jesus Shine, and, and well he, we we didn't know it was Shine Jesus Shine. No. He sang me a verse. <laughs> he sang, so, you a, verse I, of I, sang a verse. Could be anything. And yeah. Lord, you know, first line was Lord, the light of your love, and so I said, Graham, that's a really good verse. He says, Hey, you should go and write a chorus for it. <laughs> <laughs> and he came back with this Shine Jesus Shine, which is an incredible song. song of intercession yeah. you know for our nation but yeah. uh yeah little things like that happen yeah you know you know we're working on this everlasting god mm. you know with brenton brown and ken riley and uh, had, they had like three options mm-hmm. for the chorus mm-hmm. so this i sit down with them and and i go okay and so they'll play me the three options yeah and then we said no that's the one you should go with that one yeah and then a couple of years later you know the the whole church is singing yeah. that chorus. And so yeah. it's just 
feel so privileged to be in yeah. that moment yeah. and uh, just to help steer mm -hmm. and identify the right, the right thing. fascinating things about the way that songs travel around the world in terms of looking at the worship music is just how many of them have come from UK artists you know the, the Martin Smiths and the Matt yeah. Redmonds they have written songs that have traveled all over the world and there, there does seem to be almost a disproportionately large number of well-known UK names who have you know been gifted these songs and they've done they've done so well what do you put that down to well there's two things there's obviously you know I feel that those guys are as you mentioned are carrying on a heritage mm. You know, they've grew up in an amazing community, you know, where the fathers have, you know, supported them and mm. and um, they've invested into them. So, you know, even with Matt Redman, um, you know, you know, Sue Rinaldi gave him vocal lessons. Right. Yeah, Bryn yeah. Harris come to play guitar mm. and Graham Kendrick helped him with the songwriting content. Noel Richardson welcomed and invited him into you know, his worship forum. Martin Smith, Andy Piercy, all those guys were mm. also very important in his life. So they grew up in this, you know, yeah. almost like village. Yeah, a Jujun, real community kind real of Real community, and so that was, I think that was very, and also they had that sense of carrying on mm. what the fathers had started. And also that then, just on a practical level, uh, you know, there was this incredible event in 1997 at Wembley Stadium. And so what happened there, a champion of the world, was that four of the key executives came from EMI, mm. CMG, Christian Music Group, in Nashville. And they, you know, they were so impacted by this day. They came originally just to, to sign Delirious, mm -hmm. which, which they did. Um, but then they also were impacted by the worship right. of the UK, which was on display that day. That was not the reason we booked Wembley Stadium, but they came and they saw and God touched them. And they came to us at Kingsway and said, uh, you know, America needs this. Mm. And we haven't seen anything like this since the Jesus movement. You know, America needs these songs. Mm. And so what happened was we signed a co-publishing deal with them. And they also then promoted the songs around the world. So, so for instance, you know, the song like Here I Am to Worship, mm. which was a beautiful worship song by Tim Hughes. But then... Chris Tomlin recorded it, mm -hmm. and Michael W. Smith recorded it, Israel Houghton recorded yeah. it, uh, Darlene Chet recorded it, yeah. Jimmy and, and the song yeah. went around the world. Yes. So, so EMI, CMG, they played a part yeah. in helping the songs get out, but they only magnified really what was mm. happening. Yeah, and there was also that, that, that quote you mentioned in the book from Louis Giglio, who said that when Delirious's uh, Live and in the Can album arrived, that sort of changed everything. Yeah. And, and obviously with, with Passion and uh, Better Is One Day was sort of a theme for some yeah. of their early conferences which came out of that Matt Redman song. So so the influence in America does seem to be quite incredible. And certainly, yeah. 
you know, the number of American worship leaders you talk to, almost all of them will say, well, delirious, sort of, yeah. really made well, me start thinking about worship yeah. music. Well, actually, I had an amazing time with Louis. Louis and Shelley, great people. I said to him, you know, we're just hanging out, I said, uh, Louis, you know, so where did you get the revelation of, of worship? Do you know? And he said in 1988 at a Baptist uh, youth congress. And I said, well, and where, I said, where was that? Mm. He said, it was in Glasgow. And I said, well, who was leading? And he said, it was Graham Kendrick. And so, you know, so there, you know, Incredible. God really met yeah. with Louis and Shelley in, in Britain. Mm. And uh, we had the joy, you know, when Matt Redmond was recording Your Grace Finds Me in Atlanta, that uh, Graham and Joe Kendrick were in town that day, okay. in a couple of days. And, and so I rang them up and invited them mm. to the recording and, you know, as part of a worship conference. And so Graham was there, and, and when he was there, you know, Louis mm. inv- asked him to stand up, and he just honoured Graham, and he said, "Guys, if it wasn't for this man, then this this wouldn't be happening." Wow, powerful. So it's really, really powerful. There's been a sweet thing there. There's been a, I would say, a good partnership with uh, Six Steps and with Passion Movement as well, and also because of, you know the move of God in the early '90s here with the young people with Soul Survivor. Mm you know, Revive, New Day, mm. all those things kicking off, Jim and at Y Friday, mm-hmm. what was happening in the North, all mm-hmm. the different things that were going on at Chelmsford. I mean, all those things, it was like a whole move of God with the youth. And so the sound that came from that was a new generation mm. of sound and that connected as well with the passion movement. Yes, yeah. And tell, were... tell me about the beginning of, of that movement because, you, again, you mentioned in the book where you say, I think there's going to be a move of God. Yeah. Um, this is why you're at New Wine, I think. So what happened was I was playing bass mm-hmm. on the New Wine worship team. Right. Yeah. With uh, Bryn Harris was leading, and then one night uh, this uh, <laughs> one night this uh, shy young man um, was allowed Matt, Matt Redmond was allowed to come and he was allowed one song. <laughs> <laughs> he was allowed to lead one song. Just to try <laughs> that. Idiot. And uh, we played bass. I played. You know, we played for him. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> and then. We, I said, so we had a little chat afterwards, and I said to Matt, so what, what are you up to? And he said, well, I'm leading worship at the New Wine Youth. And he, he said, you should come down. So so that night after the worship in the main venue, uh, Bryn Harris and I went down to the youth venue, and then it was about 600 kids in there, and Matt was leading, and Mike Pilevacci was leading it. But God was doing so much with the kids that was like, wow, this is amazing. And so every night after the main session, I would run down to the youth venue. It was just so incredible, Sam. And um, so that's when I, that's, this is when I sensed something was going on. And, right. and also then I'd go across the cutting edge to hang out with Martin mm. and guys and just to see how that was all going. And then um, basically Mike uh, announced that Mike Pilevacci that he was going to start Soul Survivor. And, I, it, and it was g- generally about that time that I could just sense that God was, mm. there was a, a wave mm. that was coming. And the thing is, because when you grow up, when I grew, you know, grew up in a, you know, Christian, Christianity in, in the church, I had never seen that before. I'd never seen that whole thing where mm. even two or 3,000 young people were getting together mm. like that right. to worship yeah. and, and to study and so I just thought, no, something is happening. And then it just got more and more. And, and John Pack was amazing. John, mm-hmm. who's my boss at Kingsway, 
and I went to see him, explained what I felt, and he allowed me to start a record label called Survivor Records. Mm -hmm. And the whole purpose of that label was to release the next generation mm -hmm. and worship. So, yeah, it was, yeah. It was yeah. fun. Many of the names we've just mentioned, of course, were sort of signed to that label mm. um, and really went on to have incredible, incredible impacts. And we, you know, we talk about the, the birth of something like Soul Survivor. And it's, it's amazing in, in the book, you sort of trace these various relationships that lead up to it. So someone like Mike Pilavacci was heavily influenced by John Wimber. Yes. It is incredible how so many of those events are driven by the music. So whether it's Soul Survivor or Spring Harvest or New Wine, really so much of what people go to these events for now is, is to experience something of worship. Yes, it is. But also I think the live uh, worship albums really helped, mm. um, I would say, promote the event, mm. but also just reflect what was going on. Yeah. And when people heard it, yeah. they wanted to be there. Yeah. You know, so I think I think the live worship album of an event uh, draws people. Mm, absolutely. Well, we're here talking about Les Moyers' uh, latest book. It's called The Missing Jewel, and it is out now. We're going to hear more from Les in part two, but that does bring us to the end of part one. Just before we go, I did want to let you know that Les has written a wonderful article in the latest issue of Premier Christianity magazine. So if you go to premierchristianity.com, you can read his article where he just sets out some of this incredible history in more detail. So why not check that out, premierchristianity.com. And while you're there, if you add a forward slash free sample, that's premier premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample you can get a physical copy of the latest issue absolutely free so why not do that right now and we'll be back just after this The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio Well, welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. Today on The Profile, I'm speaking to Les Moyer. He is the author of Missing Jewel. It's published by David C. Cook and it is out now. It's the story of the worship music movement, really, over the past 50 years. Uh, really good read. Encourage you to get it. And also, why not head to premierchristianity.com where you can also read something from Les there as well. We're throwing the content at you today. Uh, Les has written a wonderful article for the magazine that I help edit. It's premierchristianity.com. So anyway, here we are with part two, Les. It's mm. great to have you with us. Thanks, Sam. And uh, as we've been talking... I've stayed. You've stayed. You've, yeah. stayed. you've stuck around and we're very grateful. <laughs> <laughs> we've been talking about some of these well-known worship leaders. Mm. But of course, you have been arguably behind the scenes, perhaps quietly working away, helping them develop. And now you've been thrust into the spotlight with this book. How does that feel? Um, strange, <laughs> slightly strange. Strange to um, be going around doing the Christian media, <laughs> doing all these interviews. You'd normally be accompanying uh, uh, other yes, people to these sorts of things. Yeah, I've, I've seen how it's done. <laughs> uh, no, I feel, I mean, as we were laughing earlier, I feel, you know, I'm a bass player. Yeah. And I feel at the bass player, I've stepped up to one of the lead singers, yeah. Mike's. And uh, no, I feel, I feel I have a story to tell. Yeah. Sam, and uh, so it's it's a chance to do that. It's, it's interesting the number of worship leaders who, of course, have sat where you're now sitting and, you know, we'd, we'd interview them here at Premiere. And I would say almost every single one of them would count you as a friend. <laughs> I mean, you really do know everyone in the Christian music world, it seems. And there is, seems to be like a real community feel to yeah. it, more than there is an industry. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. In fact, um, my friend John Pack, when I asked him what the difference was between the British worship scene and other worship mm. scenes, you know, he would say, 
one's a community and the others are industries. And so I think, you know, we have fought very hard mm. to keep that value. Mm. I mean, it's interesting. I think also because they, the island is small, then we've been, it's easier to keep in touch. Mm -hmm. But there's also feels like there's not an accountability, but it's like this whole thing where the, almost like the older brothers feel responsible for the younger guys mm. and, and want to see them succeed. So there's been this almost like a family mm. thing going on. And, and so, and also the, the amazing thing about community, Simon, is this, it, it kind of comes, it's against uh, competition. Mm. So, you know, so when you build community, competition gets less. Mm. And so the natural thing to be doing it, if you're an artist or worship leader, it's almost like to compete right against yeah. each other you know it's just yeah. amazing you know things going on and so and just to promote each other and complement each other mm. and for, there's a great line is it from community comes collaboration mm. so now we have this thing where all these songwriters are working together and you know i think that's benefiting a lot of the songwriting mm. and then what happens collaboration then leads to innovation right because yeah. the collaboration makes you do some things that that you wouldn't do on your own. Yes. And so community, collaboration, innovation. Yeah. And that's been the fruit of it. That's great. And also, it's, you know, it's, it talks in the Psalms how God blesses the unity. Mm. And I think God has, that's one of the reasons that God has blessed the worship in the UK mm. has been because of the unity. Mm. Yeah. And the worship leaders. So for you, um, how does this work? I mean, what kind of gets you up out of bed in the morning? How do you see your calling within within all of this music? Well, um, if you want to say back in the day, basically I was in this rock band, mm -hmm. great band, toured Europe, had a great time, band called Deliverance, really, really enjoyed it. European European television, arenas, all that stuff. And then that came to an end and, and I came back to Eastbourne, you know, to, to be part of a church there. And... Um, Soon after I'd been there, about a couple of months after that, I found myself without any work. And uh, my pastor at the time had asked me to come off the road and not, um, you know, not travel, can put roots down. Mm. So I got to, he said, just get get involved in church. Mm. So, so I, you know, I started to speak to people at church and is there, any, is there anything I do do to help you? Mm. And there was this old lady, uh, her name's Esme. And, I said, Esme, you know, is there anything I can do to help you? And she goes, oh, Leslie, would you help me with my garden? Okay. So I, I said, well, I'm not very good, but yeah, I'll, I'll do what <laughs> I can. Anyway, she said, oh, I'll give you a free meal. So yeah. I did that. And then while I was doing her garden, the, the old lady next door saw me and she said, excuse me, young man, would you like to do my garden? <laughs> and she offered me some money. And yeah. so I, I agreed to do that. Yeah. But um, I was having this argument with God because you know, a few months before that, mm. I was playing in arenas yeah, and yeah. doing that stuff. And now I was doing Gardening. old ladies' yeah. gardens. <laughs> and uh, I said to God, you know, why have you done this to mm. me? And I felt the Lord say, Les, he says, I haven't called you to be a star. He says, I've called you to be a servant. Wow. And so, and as, as I was pulling out the weeds from the old ladies' gardens, then God was pulling out the weeds in me. So, and so I began to, you can try and serve and I said to God well, who do you want me to serve and he I felt he said I want you to serve anointed artists mm. so those people that I saw God using and um, then I wanted to help them mm. and and so 
So I started doing that, you know, different worship leaders, artists, and I would write them notes or go and see them and send them CDs or, you know, just try and help mm. them mm. and encourage them. And then from that, then they asked me to be more involved with them. Mm. And then that grew from that. Mm. So so that would be my thing, really, to, to, to serve them. And, but my other thing was to see, I just love seeing people develop. I love the A&R role of discovering, develop, and developing. And, and so for me, there's no greater fulfillment than some of the guys. We worked on like seven or eight albums together and yeah. seeing the growth yeah. over, over this album. And, and again, just feeling so proud of them and mm -hmm. to see the way that they've grown in either songwriting and, and who they are. And, you know, we just finished this album with Lou Fellingham. I'm so proud of Lou. You know, yeah. this, this changes everything. It's just... You know, I feel that, again, it's a, it's a good day for her, you know, and you can see that development. I tell everyone, Sam, uh, Joshua Tree was number five. Joshua Tree was the fifth U2 album. So people forget there was right, that four of albums of course. before. Yeah, a lot of development and growth. I'd love to know as you sort of travel around and you see so many different expressions of the church, what does that do to you personally? I imagine that must have quite an effect because most people, perhaps, they might go along to the same Christian conference every year or they might be stuck in their little church. But for you, yeah. you have been able to see a yeah. huge diversity in the Christian church, yeah, certainly really... within the music. What, what does that do to you? What kind of lessons have you learned from that? Well, um, so in Revelation 6 and 7, it talks about the worship of heaven and it says that every tribe, tongue and nation uh, will be worshipping mm. together. And so my heart is really is to see that happen on earth as in as in heaven. Mm. And so so basically what happens is you know I, at the moment sometimes it feels quite the church feels quite tribal. Mm. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean there's yeah. this tribe over here, there's this tribe over here, mm. this tribe and they and they don't worship together. Yeah. Sometimes and so yeah. uh so you know, my heart like is to see that all come together. Mm. The, you know, it's called the, called the bending and the blending of genres. But yes. I mean, even prom praise, yeah. which is in the Albert Hall, and again, that's a whole another expression. Mm. You know, to Soul Survivor, and so it's just. But you want my heart is to see all this come together. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and on that, actually, you you mentioned again in the book about the di increased diversity we've yes. seen. Um, working with artists like Noel Robinson yeah. and others from the sort of black majority church mm. of how I guess even immigration has changed this country and how that's changed our own worship and has brought yeah. a kind of diversity to our own worship perhaps. Yeah, and even, I mean, even more so at times bringing our diversity to the church. So the, the congregations, you know, and even leadership of church are becoming multiracial. And so our worship it's going to become more that way. Mm. And I'm excited about that. And yeah. you know, as I said, I, I'm excited about hearing the side of heaven on earth as, as it is in heaven. But I'm also can't wait to hear all these different colors and uh, cultures in this, in the songs, you know, there's, there's so, there's so much, it's, it's going to be so much richer. I mean, it's great already, but it's going to be so much richer mm. what comes. It's interesting you say it would be more rich because there are critics who would say that worship music, Christian music, oh, it all just sounds the same. Have you <laughs> have you encountered that kind of viewpoint? Yes, I have, and and uh, and that's another reason why we need that diversity. Mm. Do you think it's a fair criticism then? Uh, I feel uh, in certain areas uh, it can be, um, but but if, and it feels like some of the other if you want to say expressions mm. and need to be lifted up. So for me, you know, 
again with black majority church and you know in London as you know mm. there's more non-white yes. church goers than white church goers yeah and but is that reflective mm. in the release of albums or mm. songs and so uh, I think you know the worship songs that, that are being sung in the black majority churches need to have more profile mm. should have mm. And and what about geographically as well? Because we've talked a lot about America already, but I'm also aware you've been doing more and more work in, in Europe. I mean, mm. you work for Integrity Music Europe, yes. and there is a, a focus on what's happening beyond just the UK. Can you give us a bit of an insight yeah. into no, that? No, I love... I mean, that's for me, uh, Europe feels like um, Britain in the early 90s. Really? It feels like God is just about to explode. It feels significant. Very good. And, I mean, a couple of movements we've been working with, uh, particularly a movement called ICF, in uh, Switzerland, you know, over 60 church plants now across Europe yeah. and great creativity mm. happening. But because the, the, the thing is, it, it, if you don't encourage it, you know, if you don't go in, as we said, find the flame there and t teach into it, then it, it won't come up t to the, where we are. It mm. feels like in the UK we're established mm. and those other nations um, need to be uh, encouraged mm. and um, and also you know given confidence I mean I went to Lagos last a couple of years ago with uh, Moyoa okay yeah another um, premier <laughs> favorite yeah you know amazing situation two three hundred young musicians there in in Lagos they asked me if there was anything else I wanted to say after we completed most of it and I just said you know I felt that that the Nigerian ingredient is essential in the every tribe, tongue, and nation sound, mm. and that God wants to hear that sound. And the place just started eru erupting, <laughs> you know. And then it's just that the people need, other nations need to hear, know that mm. that God wants to hear their sounds. Mm. And so our job is to go and ask and give them permission mm. and encourage them to make that sound. Mm. This is very unfair of me, but I've got to put you on the spot and ask you about some favourite songs. There is a Spotify playlist yes, there is. Uh, called Missing Jewel. So if you mm. if you type that in, it should come up. And you've listed, I think there must be 50 songs yeah. on there, if not more. So I know there's loads of songs. I know there's loads of albums. But have there been any in particular that you want to tell the story of or that have influenced you in some way? Servant King was amazing. This is our God, the Servant King. He calls us now to follow Him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the Servant, uh, servant King. was. Um, I mean, I went to see Grant Kendrick uh, to work on this album, and uh, called "Let Go to Rise." And so, like I said before, you know, record producer comes, mm -hmm. okay, let me hear your songs. Mm -hmm. What you got? And then he just sang me. He sang "Servant King." Then he sang me "Rejoice, Rejoice." You're alive. Glory, glory. You're alive, you're alive. 
songs. But yeah, so the Seren King was was like was just almost like new revelation. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, and also for you know what I felt God had called me to do, really uh, helped me. And again, it was the the version we recorded was quite a simple version. Mm-hmm. And then, but to see to, to you know to see that song used around the world was mm. was pretty mm. a- incredible. Um, there was a, some of the No and Trisha songs, mm. which were amazing stories. You know, because Trisha, she keeps this uh, um, book, a journal of of her poetry and lyrics. And uh, during the Toronto time, which we haven't talked about, but during '94, when Toronto all blessing. the, the yeah. Toronto blessing was happening, and the Ministry Times—I don't know if you remember—the Ministry Times would go on for like two or three hours, <laughs> and then the musicians would be standing there <laughs> playing, playing, playing. So anyway, so during that time, uh, the Ministry Time, no, got a melody, okay, and he and he, was, he really liked it. So he 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 got his dictaphone and he put his dictaphone on his guitar, and and played, he recorded it. Mm. And then he rushes home, and he says to Trisha, "Trisha, I, th- I think, I think I've got a m- melody." Mm. And so he plays it to her, and then she says, "No, I think I have the words." They marry these words and the melody together. So the song called "You Are My Passion." Let me hear the beating of your heart. Oh. songs come about like that it's very special I mean very there's some very prophetic songs you know did you feel the mountains tremble open up the doors in songs singing about what God was going to do mm. when he wasn't doing it at the time but the song carries you know the prophetic picture of what mm. so I would say that you know songs like that mm. are key yeah. to me and obviously God of Justice Tim Hughes' song God is saying that, um, and so that again, that song has been a prayer. You know, the words of what pe- you know resonate in people's hearts, mm. and uh, so it, it's been again amazing to see how God's used that mm. song. It's wonderful. Uh, we were having a conversation before off air about some of the sort of technical aspects of being a producer, and really interesting dynamic of the congregation singing along 
for a worship album is so important. Yeah. And you Amazing and you need that. And of course you're sort of sitting there, you know, Again, with all the controls in front of you and you in the mixing process have some sort of decisions to make about well, yeah, how loud is this? And, and I, I imagine do you want to talk a bit about that because I find that quite interesting about how to come up with what we listen to that hasn't been expressed um, you know, has, has been through people like yourself yeah, and you're trying to mix it in a way that's helpful for Because there is more and more in a congregational setting to hear and Do you think it is a challenge sometimes for artists to think about writing about perhaps an element of God's character or a theme from the Bible that so I was a young producer many times over. Yes, so and uh, that's probably late twenties. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was called into you know, the office so of Jeff Sharon. You know, when people bring you their Kingsway. songs mm -hmm. and heading up Kingsway Music, you know, and he sat me down. Um, and he, he said, "Let's only play some stuff." Wonderful thing is, so he he played me these uh, Maranatha. He played me a Maranatha album. Okay. Yeah, Maranatha Praise, which is strings. The other thing is strings. Orchestral writing down. It was very beautiful. What he's doing now. Very well recorded song like but quite sterile. Mm -hmm. And then, he, then he said, "Listen to this." Then he played me a cassette of Dan's Bible Week, uh, which was like one microphone <laughs> in a tent, but just totally anointed. Mm. You know, very powerful. And he commissioned me basically mm. to bring together the quality of the Maranatha album with the anointing on the mm. Dan's album. Mm. And so that's been my challenge, Sam. Yeah. Is you know where, you know, you record something live, but they, but you still have that quality in it. And also, I love it. In, you know, they, they talk about spirit break out. You know, I love it when you're recording something live and then God comes and it gets, and and it's getting spontaneous, and you're just capturing that moment. And there's, there's nothing like it. Incredible stuff on the early New Wine albums, um, long ministry time music, which was incredible. And uh, also Face Down, you know, the album with Matt Redman. Mm. Very, you know. Very special. Very, very, you know, but we to have that captured on tape. Another thing that Jeff asked, Jeff Sharon asked me to do, he says, when I get the album home, I want it to sound like it, like it was when I was at the festival. Right. Yeah. I want it to sound <laughs> like I was standing in the middle of the crowd, yeah. and um, we were going for it because that was the moment that I loved. So we worked hard at um, having the crowd quite loud, and mm. it's the Soul Survivor six, 1996 album that the crowd is really loud. Um, <laughs> quite wild, raucous. But anyway, it was. Uh, 
but you feel it. You can feel the room. Live Nakan again is you know the the sound of the crowd. Yeah, it's very very special. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, and these were like landmark recordings for me. But then you know when we started taking the stuff to America, oh, then they would they would ask for the mix to be slightly less crowd. Mm -hmm. So we we had to work a little bit at that. You know the American preference was for more snare, mm -hmm. more guitars, mm -hmm. and less crowd. Mm -hmm. So we had to work. At doing that, I mean, an, an amazing live album I think for me in recent years has been um, Jesus Culture and Martin Smith in New York. Yeah, I would yeah. say that's probably one of the best albums of capturing live worship at, at its best. so many exciting projects to talk about from, from this incredible history that you've been a part of but what about the future I know you've always got another project on the go <laughs> there's always another album in the pipeline or another yeah. recording you're about to go to so what's next well I think what we talked about earlier you know the whole multicultural worship mm. is is I would really like to see that uh, happen more and be captured so you know, I'm starting to work with him on a project with Noel Robinson and working on new songs together. Our dream is, again, is to just capture the sound of heaven. Mm -hmm. But I just feel that, you know, that as the church becomes more multicultural, then the expression is going to become that too. And so I want to see that developed and uh, encourage the worship of the nations. What a wonderful calling and uh, a wonderful ministry involved in. Les Moyer, the author of Missing Jewel, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Sam. Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for here on The Profile on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, and it's been great to have you with us. Just a reminder, you can go to premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile to hear past shows and also get our podcast, which is now available. But now here on Premier Christian Radio, it's time to say goodbye, and I'll leave you with Dave Rose, who's coming up next with Premier Playback. <laughs>